we're looking at how to apply God's word. Uh, we um, uh, talked about the, uh, the the pyramid going up one side and coming down the other because we, you know, we read, we comprehend, and we apply. But those steps to get there uh, requires us to be a little more detailed than what probably we've had been in our original Bible study in time. Okay. Uh, how many of y'all will, will admit that there are times when you're guilty of just doing a cursory read? Y'all know what a cursory read is? You know, you, you got your Bible study, uh, your Sunday school lesson, you got your book there, and you go through and answer a few questions, you kind of read the present day illustration, and you kind of move through it, but you really don't even, some of y'all don't even get your Bible out. Uh, because if you get your Bible out, that means, you, you know, my experience has been the Holy Spirit would take you even deeper than the, than the text that's in the book. All right. So as your pastor, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. I want to let you know what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to brainwash you. I'm just trying to get each one of us to take our Bible study time a little bit more seriously and to to learn the methods to get beneath the surface. Because I can tell you all day long, study, 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 study. But if I don't show you how to do that, then you're still going to be a Christian who wants to know more, but don't know more because you hadn't been taught how to dig beneath the surface. Does that make sense? So that's what we're trying to accomplish with this series on how to apply God's word. Because when, when, when in Isaiah, when it says, uh, you know, they, they, they praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I've discovered that in the church, we have a lot of believers who, who I think are born again, but are not successfully applying the word of God. In their individual situations, in their marriages, on their jobs, and how they handle their finances, and how they how they relate to people, we gotta we gotta become greater. We gotta become great in our in our in the process of living this word out in our everyday lives. So if but it helps me when I can properly dissect scripture, when I can properly uh, allow the Holy Spirit to come in, because He's the one that gives us the revelation. But we also have to have. Uh, uh, some some steps to get there to understand God's truth. Is that, is that are y'all following me? Okay, so look at your outline right quick. We're going to go into digging into the New Testament right now. Let's go to the New Testament and see if we can learn some things right now. All right, so in your outline, the, the New Testament is not called new because it replaces the Old Testament or because it was written more recently. Rather, it is new because it fulfills the old. Okay, the New Testament fulfills the old. The Bible is the story of God and his relationship with mankind and with his own people. Okay, this is a loving God, a covenant God who promises to send a savior. He promises from the old his promises from the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament. What the priest pictured in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the new. What the prophets predicted in the Old Testament comes to pass in the new. And what God promised in the Old Testament happens in the new. Now, this is critically important because um, uh, so many times uh, when we look at scripture, we don't look at. I know when I first started out, I, I didn't understand the big picture. And see, understanding the big picture helps you to put the pieces together when you're studying Old Testament and New Testament. The big picture is that this Bible is, 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 a, is a love story between God and mankind. When God created mankind, he created mankind to have fellowship and relationship with him. 
when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, that's what his purpose was. But Adam and Eve, as we all know, amen, short circuited God's plan by taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when they were uh, uh, told not to do so. And that brought separation between mankind and God. A great gulf exists between God and man when because every man from the time that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden were born in sin and they were shapen in iniquity. Okay, no, none of us in here were born saved. I don't care how good a child you were, you were not born saved. We all are were born in sin and shaping iniquity. So, but God had a plan to get us back to Him, and the Bible speaks of that plan and tells us about the love that God had for mankind to the point to where God said, "I'm going to pour out of myself in human flesh, and I'm going to come down here and offer a sacrifice so that." My people can have relationship with me. Okay? Everybody with me today? Okay? So, so when we look at this, we come from the Old Testament. We talked about last week some things that can help us to, to unpack Old Testament scripture. We get into the New Testament tonight. Actually, the two, the two testaments fit together and must be understood together. The old prepares the way for the new and the new interprets the old. We cannot, listen to this, we cannot fully understand what God intended in the Old Testament without a knowledge of the new. And we can't fully understand the New Testament without a knowledge of the old. Okay, so y'all need to highlight that, underline it, whatever you need to do, start, mark it, because... The two go together. Now, there are some uh, particular churches, and I, again, I'm not calling names, but there are some who believe that, you know, it's New Testament only. But, but again, you can't really truly understand the new without understanding the old. Can I get a witness? Uh, now, uh, the New Testament can, contains three literary types, okay? Three uh, literary types. History, which are, it consists of the Gospels and the Book of Acts. It contains the epistles, which are letters, and it contains, as we said on last week, apocalyptic literature, which is the book of Revelation. Okay, so the New Testament books arranged in the order uh, in the the Bible. It starts out with uh, the history, the the Gospels over in the book of Acts. And and then we go into the letters uh, of Paul, the writer of Hebrews, James then Peter and John. They teach doctrine, they give guidance, and they solve problems for those early believers. And then we have Revelation, which is uh, the apocalypse, uh, which is closed with a prophetic vision of, of hope and, and triumph. So let's look at, first of all, the Gospels, okay? Let's start here with the first literary type in the New Testament is the Gospels. All right? The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are biographies of Jesus written by eyewitnesses and historians, Okay? And so in studying the life of Christ, there are several areas where we can find applications. First of all, uh, look at Jesus's lifestyle. All right. Jesus told his disciples that if they wanted to know what God was like, they should look at him. Okay. do you want to see God in action in flesh? Then look at Christ. We also told that the goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ. Let's go to Romans, the eighth chapter right quick. And we'll start our reading at verse number Start at verse number 28, then we'll read verse number 29. Romans, the eighth chapter. Okay? So, again, uh, what are the three types of literature in the New Testament? Real quickly, come on. History? Huh? Epistles, which is another fancy word for what? Letters. Okay? Paul, Paul wrote the majority of the letters that were addressed to the churches in the New Testament, right? And then we have apocalypse, apocalyptic literature, which is in the book of Revelations. So Romans, the eighth chapter, let's start our reading uh, 
at verse number 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who what love God and are called according to his purpose for them. All right. 29. Let's read. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Come on, let's read that one more time out loud on purpose. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Now, again, we said we start off by saying in studying life of Christ, there are several areas where we find application. We look at Jesus's lifestyle. Guys, the, the longer that we are saved, the more we should look like Christ. How many of y'all have been saved longer than 20 years, 20 plus years? Anybody been saved longer than 20 years? Okay. Okay. How many, how many of you just, just got to know the Lord? All right. However long, how many, how many of you have been saved five, you know, uh, five years or less? Okay. All right. All right. Now, the longer that you're saved, the more you should be transforming to look more like the Savior. Okay. Look at what Romans says. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them, talking about us, to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Okay. The firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We know that Jesus uh, is the first truth of the resurrection, right? Y'all do understand that, correct? And so just like Jesus uh, rose up from the dead, Whenever we uh, he comes back for his church, we're going to be raptured. And if the dead in Christ are going to do what? Rise first. Right. OK. So uh, Jesus is our example. And so he wants us to be like him. Correct. Uh, so we, we, we're told uh, again, look, look at the outline. We also told that the goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ. It only makes sense then to use his lifestyle as our example and model. How did Jesus evangelize? If you think about this for a second, remember, there were oftentimes where the religious leaders got upset with Jesus, KD, because he, he was evangelizing by hanging out with sinners. He took time to, to, to talk to people. The Samaritan woman at the well we talked about on Sunday, right? He took time to talk to people that many of the religious folks thought uh, those folks were beneath them, to be quite honest. And they wouldn't have anything to do with him. But Jesus, his example of evangelizing should be our example of evangelizing. We've been harping on this time and time again that it's critically important for us to learn how to build a relationship with people who are not saved so that we earn the right to speak in their life about the faith that we have. Because if I take time to talk to people, if I take time to meet people, then they're more apt to listen to me than if I just knock on their door on Saturday morning and say, you do want to be saved. Now, I don't doubt that people get saved that way, but I promise you, you're probably going to be more effective by building a relationship and following the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do to this short fellow by the name of Zacchaeus? Who ran, ran up a sycamore tree just to see him. And Jesus said, you come down. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. And when he got to his house, guess what, guys? Something Jesus said changed this man's uh, uh, heart so profoundly. He had cheated people all these years. 
And he says, I'm going to give back, I'm going to pay back twice as much, maybe four times as much as what he stole from people. And, and, and Jesus said, listen, you're you, you a son of David now. Because that man's heart was changed because he met the Savior. Now, what if he just never invited himself to that, that man's house? See, sometimes people are still where they are because we don't take the time to follow the example of our master by building those relationships, okay? So he teaches how to relate to sinners, to the, how to relate to the poor, to the sick, and to the oppressed. He, uh, he, 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 he's our example, all right? Go with me right quick to Mark, the first chapter, verse 40 through 45. And this, this, this records the story of Jesus healing a leper. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45, right quick. Watch what the text says. Can y'all read me? Let's read. And a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. 42. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Watch this. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Verse 45 says, well, but the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. I, I pray if I had leprosy and Jesus healed me, I wasn't going to shut my mouth. I don't, I don't care. You know, when the Lord has done anything for you, you're going to have to tell it, right? Has God ever done something to you so excited you went around telling everybody about it? This man here couldn't contain himself, guys. He says, proclaiming everyone what had happened as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus. That's what Jesus was trying to prevent. They soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Okay, kept coming to him. Now, again, two lessons from Jesus' lifestyle jump out at me from this passage right here. First of all, his compassion. His compassion for hurting people. Jesus had compassion for those who were hurting. One translation said he was moved with pity. Okay, so his compassion jumps out. Because again, we're talking about his lifestyle. We, we, we look at this and we're saying that when we uh, uh, look at the Gospels, we look at this, the Gospels are a, biogra- a biographical ske- sketch of Jesus' lifestyle. So Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, his lifestyle here uh, shows that he had pity or compassion and the fact that he touched the leper, who culturally speaking and religiously speaking, the leper was an unclean outcast and a person that, uh, you know, that, that really they were isolated uh, from society. They had leper colonies outside of the city. If you got leprosy, you had to move away from your family. But it's interesting to me that Jesus was willing to touch this man that nobody else was willing to touch. Are you willing to touch somebody who everybody else shuns? See, that's the lifestyle that, that we ought to model because Jesus is our example, okay? When we study his life, there are several areas that we can find application. We ought to show compassion and we ought to, uh, at, at, at the same time, touch people who society or even religious folk consider to be untouchable. Amen? So the second th- thing that we can learn, that we can find application is through ethical teachings that we discover from the scripture. Oftentimes, often Jesus gave specific statements about how people, especially his followers, were to live. 
20 centuries later, we still follow him. So those statements also apply to us. Again, in John 16, 33, we find a strong word of encouragement from Jesus to his disciples. He says, I've told you all this so that you will have peace of heart and mind. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but cheer up for I have overcome the world. How many of y'all... How many of y'all, when, when you first heard about Jesus or when you were being told about the master, um, th- there was this mindset that when you come to Jesus, everything will be all right. How many of y'all, that was, that was, the, that was the common uh, theological slant that was placed on your accepting Christ, your personal Savior? Because you want everything to be all right, so you came to Jesus. So you, you came to Jesus expecting that every person you meet was going to now be cool with you. How many of you know the Bible never promises that? How many of you know that that when we come to Jesus, now spiritually speaking, we are all right. Because whether we live, whether we die, we gain. That's what Paul says. Because if I die to be absent from the body, to be what? Present with the Lord. If I'm still living here and I have an opportunity, Paul says, to minister and to share with you. But again, when we look at this thing, uh, I want you to understand something. That, 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 that Jesus is our example and when we look at how he lived life and what he did and the things that he taught us, we are to follow after that. But that don't mean that we're not going to have some issues that come up. Be of good cheer, he says. He says, because uh, I have overcome the world. If Jesus has overcome the world and we have Jesus on the inside of us, then that, that makes us what? An overcomer. If I got the overcomer living on the inside of me, then that makes me an overcomer. So whenever these things begin to happen, we should not get discouraged. We should not get distressed, but we should understand and know that we have Jesus Christ living on the inside of us. Amen. Christ's teaching is, for us is clear. As human beings in a fallen world, we will encounter difficulties and struggles. And as followers of Christ, we'll be pressured and tested. And God knows how many of y'all are willing to raise your hand and say, I've been through some tests. Talk to me, Brady Figaro. You, I, I, how many of y'all are willing to say, I have been tested, Pastor? I, I, I've had some things that come up in my life that I literally did not expect. And, and, and I wasn't looking for it. I, and if I had to do it all over again, I really wouldn't want to go through it. But you know what? I learned some things when I went through it. God taught me some things. And if the truth be told, guys, if, if we're really honest about it, there are sometimes some things in life we won't learn until we go through a hard time, a hard period. Amen. Some lessons and some 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 things that God wants to root out of us won't be rooted out unless we go through a a process. And sometimes that process is not very pleasant to our flesh and to our mindset. But God has to take us through that so he can get us to where he wants us to be. Okay, are y'all with me today? You remember the parable of of the sower and the four soils? Uh, Those four types of soil represent what? Anybody remember? It represents the heart of man, correct? And so uh, in that parable, you know, we, we can learn a lot about how people respond to the word of God. Go, go right quick to Luke, the eighth chapter, verse number four, right? Luke chapter eight, verse number four. Because we can be sitting here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and hearing the very same word. And it's amazing to me how some will capture that word, embrace it, and begin to actually live their life by it and begin to walk in faith and see the power of God move in their life. And others will sit there and hear that same word and it doesn't have the same impact. 
The word is not different. It's the condition of the soil that the seed is falling into. Okay, so we got to check our hearts. Watch what the text says here in Luke 8, verse number four. It says, well, one day Jesus told a story to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. He says this, a farmer went out to plant his seed as he scattered it across his field. Some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let's keep moving. Verse 9 says, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. Because when Jesus gives a parable, again, it's an earthly story with a spiritual implication. Jesus talked about stuff that people understood to open the eyes of understanding stuff that they didn't understand. Okay, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see when they hear they won't understand. So think about this for a second. Why are you spending all your time arguing with unsaved relatives about spiritual things? Why, why, why are you beating your head up against the wall, arguing with unsaved or carnal-minded Christians? Unsaved people or carnal-minded or baby Christians. Because baby Christians' ability to understand spiritual things is going to be very limited. And so if you spend all your time trying to get them to understand something that they clearly won't be able to understand until they grow, uh, you, you're going to have a lot of frustrating uh, conversations. Now, we got holidays coming up. I, I, I ran across some material. I may uh, send it out to you guys. It talks about how to prepare yourself for family coming up to the holidays. Because sometimes holidays, although we love to have them, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, sometimes when we're, we're around family, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we can have challenges. Can I put it that way? How many of y'all are willing to admit that there have been times when you had challenges when certain family members came around? Okay. All right. All right. How many of you know that that's a time of testing for you to see how you're going to respond to some of those family members who may not be as pleasant to be around as you would like for them to be? Right. But everybody says nothing more than a test. Say, God just preparing me to deal with difficult people. All right. Let's keep reading. So when they hear, they won't understand. So sometimes those folks who you're going to be trying to give godly wisdom to over Thanksgiving, they're not going to understand. So just understand who you're dealing with and know that you pray for them. And if there is somebody who's there at the family dinner who's seeking real understanding, you pull them aside. Don't do it in front of the whole table. Go aside and say, okay, if you really want to learn this, let's have some time where we can, you know, uh, next hour. So we'll sit back and we'll go through the word of God ourselves and we'll, we'll ask, answer those questions rather than trying to do it over the turkey. Okay, don't do it over the turkey. Man. All right. So this is, the, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. Come on, let's read. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message. Watch this. Only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. That happens all the time, guys. OK, that's why we have to be praying as the word goes forward. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots. They believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Some folks are good with God as long as they're not facing any kind of temptation. 
The seeds that fell upon the thorns represent those who hear the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. Verse 15 says this. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. Now, again, guys, we want to be this fertile soil here. That soil represents the type of hearts that that men carry around. Okay, so so we we when we look at that text and that passage, that, that those teachings there should, should should inspire us to make sure that our heart is conditioned to receive word. And I I know for a fact that if if we don't pray before we get here, we'll come in with all kinds of uh, of conditions uh, in in the soil of our hearts that will prevent the seed of the word from getting in there. Okay, you've had this long week and you've allowed all this stuff to kind of crowd in. And if you're not prayed up when you come and hear, hear Bible talk, priest, then you won't necessarily receive it. So we got to get our hearts right. Okay. So we also look at parables. When Jesus spoke to the gathered multitudes, he often used parable stories with a message. Later, he would explain the meaning, just like he did here of the parable to the disciples. These interesting stories contain principles for us. Okay. So he used parable. Use this one main point that Jesus is making. If there are more, he says so. When studying the parables, we should consider Jesus' explanation and the context to discover the timeless truth that he's conveying in that parable. Okay, Then we can bring that principle into our current situation. So whenever we read scripture, whenever we're studying the biographical life of Christ Jesus, as he gives those parables, let's make sure we try to bring those parables home to our own house. Okay, Let's make sure we uh, take those parables uh, and, and begin to put them into, into play in our own life, the, the central message from that parable. The next type uh, under, under is uh, looking at Jesus Christ is figures of speech. Okay. Now, when we look at this, watch this. Uh, he, he says, uh, uh, when we look at the application of the scripture, we talked about uh, the, the metaphors, the pictures and metaphors that Jesus used to describe himself in his kingdom. Jesus said he was the bread of life. Okay. He was the light of the world. He was the gate. Uh, the true vine and the kingdom of God is described as seeds and weeds, a mustard seed, a woman making bread, hidden treasure, a, a pearl merchant and a net. So all those were, were figures of speech. Uh, and so how is Christ your bread? OK, when you hear the term, he's he, he's bread in a starving land. What does that mean? You've heard that before. Huh? Spiritual fruit, food, provision. OK. It, you know, we, it, the old folks, that, that's part of one of those hymns. He's bread in a starving land, right? He's water in dry places. He's literally our living water. And so those things give us an indication of what kind of savior that, that, that we are, are, are serving. And so when we understand that he is bread of life, we understand that he is the true vine. When we understand that he's light, okay? Then now light shines uh, in darkness and gives us a direction to go in. So if he's my light, then that means I'm going to follow him everywhere I go. So those figures of speech, when we read them in this text, we got to understand what are they really talking about? Okay. And so we can glean a, a whole lot from that. So the, so the first type of literature in the New Testament is what? What do we say is what? What is it? Oh, look back on your, on your sheet. Come on. Come on. What's the first type of literature? His, uh, huh? The Gospels, okay? With what the Gospels are what is a biographical sketch of the life of Jesus as recorded by eyewitnesses and historians, okay? 
Y'all got me? All right, so the second type is the epistles, the letters. We're, we're just going through. We, last week, remember, we, we, we look at the type of literature that was in the Old Testament. Here we look at the type of literature in the New Testament. That's important because when I go to study a passage, I need to know what type of literature it is. Okay? To help me get my understanding. Watch this, okay? Many of the New Testament books are formal letters, uh, also called epistles, written by Paul and others to local churches and individuals, okay? And these are usually seen as the, sometimes as the easiest Bible books to, to apply, but even here, it is helpful to consider certain application categories. So we have doctrines that come out of these letters, okay? As the early church was being established, Paul and other disciples spent much time defining and explaining theology to new believers. Questions about the nature of God, guilt and forgiveness, law and grace, eternal destiny, and so forth need to be explained. So knowing these doctrines is vital for any growing Christian. Now, this is critically important because we live in an age now where everybody just wants to know, give me the how-to steps. Show me how to get one, two, and three. And so I can get, take that and leave and go. But if you don't know doctrine, you can be easily deceived by false doctrine. Because every, the, the Bible talks, warns us about being tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine that comes along. So I need to know my Bible doctrine so that when false teaching arises, I can identify it. Are you following me? So doctrine is critically important. And so these, the, the letters, uh, the epistles give us uh, some, some sound doctrine. Now go, go with me to Romans the 8th chapter right quick, verse number 1. Romans 8, verse 1, number 1 again. Romans the 8th chapter. Going back to Romans 8th chapter. First part is. In Romans 8th chapter, verse number 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay? No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Verse number 2 says what? Uh, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, again, if you keep on reading here, you're going to see where Paul is explaining the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Okay, how Christ frees us from from this vicious cycle of sin and death. Okay, and and, and as we continue to read this passage, we discover that although we, we will always have a sin nature to contend with, we don't have to be controlled by it. Right. Keep on reading here. Watch this. All of us have a sin nature, right? How many of you are tempted to sin every now and then? Okay, here we go. Here we go. All right, we can't be honest, huh? All right, let me put it this way. All right, has anybody uh, ever called you and um, you didn't want to talk to them? And you got your family members involved? To lie for you, to say, tell them I'm not here. Anybody in the house? Oh, we, huh? How many know telling someone to tell somebody else that you are not here is a lie? It'd be better to say, I'm not available. But if you really are available, then you're still lying. If you're not available to talk right now, if you got something else going, that's something else. But we got to be careful because see, even something like that, uh, because maybe you don't want to interface with a certain person, you instead of you know, just you know, saying that you know, now is not a good time for me, 
we tell a lie. Okay? So there's all kinds of things and areas if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves, amen, tempted to, to sin rather than doing uh, the, the biblical thing and, and, and speaking forth truth. Okay? Is that fair enough? All right, so now let me ask that question one more time. <laughs> how, many, how many, as a believer, are you tempted to sin? We all, we all have temptation to sin, okay? And some of the temptations are different than others, okay? So, so, so we got to be careful. We got to be on guard. The law of Moses was, unable, was, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. No, there is, guys, there is no law that they can put on the books that's going to uh, make people stop speed. There's also equally no law they can put on the book that can make people love you if they want to hate you. Law can't change heart. That's why Jesus came. We couldn't keep the law. So you can, you can have every law in the book that, that, that says uh, it's unlawful to discriminate and people will still discriminate because discrimination is in their heart. See, until you deal with a man's heart, changing the law will only, it's not going to do only so much. They'll figure, figure out a way to get around the law. Are y'all tracking with me? So, so my, 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 my mandate is, as a preacher of the gospel, is to get the word out. So I know the word has the ability and the power of the Holy Spirit has, to, has the ability to change a man's heart. If you change a man's heart, then the sinful ways a man can be overcome. We still have our sin nature, but we're not controlled by it any longer. Okay, watch this. Says so, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in the body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Look at this next verse. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature. Now, here's how you know you're dominated by the sinful nature. You think about sinful things. If you sit around the house all day long thinking about sinful stuff, guess what? You're dominated by your sinful nature. We all read that with me. Let's read it out loud on purpose. Those who are dominated. Now, dominated means that that's, that's your pervasive uh, fault pattern. Now, all of us, we just acknowledge are tempted by sin, right? But if, if, you, if all you think is about is sinful stuff and never think about spiritual things, then you got you to, gotta, come on now. He says you, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Have you ever just examined your thought life to see what, what kind of stuff do I think about? Most of us don't do enough of that, do we? We just get up and live from day to day. Just whatever, case arise, arise, whatever's going to be, going to be. But we got to start thinking about what we're thinking about. All right? Next verse, come on, let's read. Got to go. So letting, so, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Okay? For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, we all are enwrapped, uh, encased in flesh. And, and we all have a sin nature. We've been redeemed from the power and the control of sin. But if we are not paying attention, 
that old sinful nature will rise up again because we're encased inside of these fleshly bodies. Okay? All right? So that thing you may have thought you were delivered from, if you're not careful, if you're not prayed up and you're not studied up, that old sinful nature will rise up and it will sneak up on you. Okay? Watch this. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature, but you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Let's go to the next verse. It says what? The spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Look at the next verse. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, because of that, because you, you're, you're no longer controlled by the sinful nature, you, you know, Jesus Christ is giving you victory. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Look at it says, you have no obligation to fulfill that pull that your sinful nature is, is trying to lay on you. Okay? You, you're not obligated. You're free. Now you can choose to live free or you can choose to live in bondage to sin. Watch this. Next verse says what? For if you live by its dictates, you're going to die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Adopted children have the same rights and privileges as the natural born child, right? 16 and 17. I'm finished on this. Okay. Watch this. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Okay. So uh, this the secret is in our will, guys. Okay. Where we yield ourselves and change our behavior. What's your will? Okay. Because all of us have a will and we got to choose to submit our will to the to the master. So uh, we look at doctrine, doctrine, help, understanding and knowing that helps us to know that I don't have to be bound by this fleshly nature. I've been set free by Christ Jesus. So what are some ethics that we know? The epistles also contain many direct statements about how we should act. In Galatians 6 and 3, 6, Galatians 6, verse 3 through 5, we read, if anyone thinks he is too great to stoop to this, he is fooling himself. He is really a nobody. Let everyone be sure that he is doing this very best, his very best, for then he will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare himself with someone else. Each of us must bear some faults and burdens of, of his own, for none of us is what? Perfect. Okay? So the application from these verses and most of the other ethical passages are relatively easy to de- determine. It's important, however, to understand the historical context in which these instructions were written. Okay, so eth- we, we, we learn uh, ethics through uh, the letters. Okay, how how to act and how not to act. There's some stuff that you know that Paul, particularly in his letters, was was very pointed and very straightforward in sharing with some of these churches. So the next thing is church conflicts. Okay, often the occasion for writing a letter was a church conflict whether it was a problem of eating meat that had been offered to idols in Romans 14 or believers taking each other to court in 1 Corinthians the 6th chapter or a quarrel between two women in Philippians the 4th chapter, verse 2, or another pressing issue. So after understanding the culture and the conflict, 
we can discover the relevant principle. We can also learn from watching how Paul and other church leaders resolve their conflicts. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you something. Remember, remember a few months back, I showed you that video of that church in Mississippi? A church in Mississippi where um, uh, <laughs> they, they were in court, literally going to court to solve a church issue. And, you know, I guess they had locked the pastor out. There was a group that was behind the pastor. And, and that whole, and this wasn't the first time. See, here's the thing. That wasn't the first time the church had done that. I think it was, remember I showed y'all that a few, maybe four or five years previously, they had the very same thing to happen. So uh, a church, according to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, should never have to take uh, their problems to the secular judge to get it solved. Right? Anytime you see a church going to court, somebody is out of order. And so these letters and these epistles, um, uh, oftentimes Paul wrote to address a church issue or a church conflict, and it gives us guidance on how we should handle church conflicts. Okay? So the, 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 the epistles uh, were, were uh, laid out uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even though they were writing to that particular church. All scripture is inspired by God, right? It's, and it's, it's, it's good for us today. So the last type of, and we're going to close on this, the last type of literature is uh, uh, apocalypse, okay? And that's from the book of Revelation, okay? So when, when studying Revelation, we should remember these things. Talk, the church, first and foremost. The first three chapters are messages to specific first century churches in Asia. But they are typical of churches and believers throughout the centuries. So reading God's messages to these churches can give us insight and direction in our own church setting. One of the ones that uh, I, I like to, to go through and study is, I think it's the church at, uh, uh, I think it's at Ephesus that it lost its first love. Because there, you know, in, in, in Revelation talks about that, even though it was dealing with a specific church, it's, it's looking down through the, through the annals of history to talk to the church as a whole. And I think that in America, the church, by and large, has left its first love. Uh, it's kind of like, and I'm going to put it this way so you can relate to it. It's kind of like you've been going with somebody or you've been married to somebody for 25, 30 years, but you stop doing what it takes to get that person. Y'all still in the same house together. Yeah. Y'all still sharing expenses together. Yeah. But there ain't no fire. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you know somebody that's like that? Maybe your friend told you about that relationship. All right. It's similar to that. Just like in, in, in relationships where, where because you're not paying attention, that arrows, that, 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 that fire, fireness that was there when you first got married, if you can remember back that far, that fireness that was there, where you couldn't, you couldn't keep your eyes off of that person, nor your hands. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Then all of a sudden, because you stop paying attention, there seems to be a coolness and an adrift that takes place in that relationship. So th- just like that happens in the natural realm, it happens in the spirit realm too, where we, when we first got saved, we were on fire. We were, we were pursuing the things of God. Now all of a sudden, not so much. Now all of a sudden, it's a strain to get the Bible studied. Now all of a sudden, that, 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 that personal prayer time that we used to have is no longer 
uh, being uh, honored by ourselves. Even though if we, when we ever, whenever we get there, we enjoy it, but somehow or another we find it difficult to get ourselves up to get to that personal prayer time like we had when we first got saved. So guys, that's a message to us, uh, even as, as, as the writer in, in, in Revelation, John the Revelator writes in, in Revelation, um, that message to the church is critically important for us, but particularly, uh, I see that, that climate in, 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 in the church in America today where there's, there's a coup as we left our first love. And what we got to do is go back and remember where we came from, reignite that love, and begin to do the things that we did previously to get that fire back in our belly, okay? Be like Jeremiah when he says, just like fire all shut up in my bone, I got to tell this message. I can't keep it to myself, okay? So again, uh, when studying Revelation, we should remember the theme of the church. We should remember the theme of hope because when you, when you read Revelation, as I told you on last week, some of us grew up thinking that Revelation was a book that we stayed away from. No, don't read that. It's going to make you go crazy. No, it's not. Just, just study the word of God in context and Revelation gives us hope for the future, guys. Because I told you on last week, in the end, we're going to win. And it also deals with judgment and victory. Okay, Beyond the past and the present, Revelation gives many future predictions of conflict, oppression, war, and Christ's ultimate victory, which is a climax as history as we know it wraps up. Okay, So again, those, three, those types of literature in the New Testament... We should be mindful of as we go to study, when we go through the Gospels, looking at looking for clues and hints about how we can uh, apply uh, those same principles that Jesus applied into our own lives. OK, so that will help us to get to a point where we can apply this word. OK.